welcome to Singing Blues. I'm Don Housen. And I'm James Marriott. So coming up, an unbeaten week so far for Wednesday. We'll hear from Gary Monk uh, and our opinions. Well, we head towards the end of the decade. We want you to help us pick out the very best Wednesday players of the last 10 years. First up, two games then in the last week. And... Um, uh, very much a tale of four different halves of football. So let's start with the first half on uh, Saturday against Brentford. Um, I said afterwards, it's probably as bad as Wednesday have played this season. Didn't happen first half against Brentford. Certainly didn't. Yeah, uh, Gary Monk hasn't been too critical of his players uh, throughout his time in charge. But for him to describe it as unacceptable that first half uh, and they actually started off alright I thought first 10 minutes or so but the the 35 minutes before half time yeah it wasn't good um, lack of creativity energy wasn't sticking up front uh, and Brentford they, they just look. They looked uh, to me a superior team. You know, they, they, you could see that they, they would come into it on the the back of a seven 0 win, uh, and if their finishing had maybe been up to scratch, they certainly could have had maybe another one. And I think if they, if they'd gone in at two 0 at half time, that would have been an, an awful long way back. Uh, but half time um, allowed them to regroup, and I think it's fair to say that Gary Monk. Uh, maybe didn't read the riot act, but I think a hairdryer was definitely used uh, and Wednesday were unrecognisable uh, in the second half. And uh, Bostit uh, really took the game to Brentford and Stephen Fletcher is in the form of his life, I would suggest right now. Uh, and they thoroughly deserved the win. We uh, it's weird with Fletcher, isn't it? It's only uh, what two, three, four weeks ago where we were talking about how the goals had dried up and he was looking a bit lost and things just weren't happening for him. Um, and yeah, totally different, totally different um, now. And um, he, I don't think I've seen him celebrate a goal as hard as that second one. Like the, he, he felt like he was really answering some critics and stuff there, didn't he? Well, yeah, um, quite possibly. He may have, uh, that may have been part of the reason for the celebration. Uh, but I, I, I just think that he's a guy who's enjoying his football um, and that he's really benefited from being injury free and um, that consistent run in the team. And I think in the last couple of years, he's had the, the odd niggle here and there. And other than. I think Hull away, yeah, he he's been a mainstay of this team this season, uh, and he's now you know he's averaging one every two, uh, which is you know very good, and he's already um, equalled his best ever tally for Wednesday goal scoring wise, and we're only in December, so I, I think he, there's every chance that Wednesday could have their first twenty goal striker since Neil Mower. Crikey. That is that is taking us back. It is. Um, yeah, double figures already before Christmas. I can't remember the last time we had a striker on double figures before Christmas. I would have think it probably was Neil Mower yeah. uh, under Gary Megson back in League One. Uh, but yeah, in the Championship, uh, I'm trying now off the top of my head. I can't think of. I dread um, to think when we're going back. It, to we're going, we're, I think we're going a long <laughs> way back. Yeah, to try and find a twenty goal man. 
but yeah, I mean, he, he took the second goal particularly uh, against Brentford. I mean, that was a man full of confidence. That the way that he sort of controlled, took Kadeem Harris's cross on, and uh, it wasn't actually the cleanest of finishes. Uh, but uh, yeah, you just you can see that he uh, at the moment is almost like a man on a mission. Yeah, he's just in, he's in great form and. Uh, it's very good for Wednesday. That's uh, and they'll be the, just trying to keep him wrapped up in cotton wool and keep him out of the treatment room because right now he's making the difference. What What do you think it was that went wrong in that in that first half? Um, was it just one of those days where things were happening? Were Brentford just on good form? Because it was interesting. Second half, Brentford pretty much didn't turn up, did they? They just didn't really create anything. And as good as Wednesday were in the second half. Brentford just really seemed to have, have have just kind of thrown that that game. There was no intensity or tempo with the way Wednesday played, though. That I, I didn't really see, uh, you know, how they were trying to go about the business. I, I, there were too many passengers. There, there, were, there were too many players who were off the pace, uh, and you cut. You know, you can maybe get away with carrying one or two, but I think on Saturday there was maybe four or five. Uh, in that first half, I, apart from maybe Sam Hutchinson, Dominic Iorfa, that, that the rest of the outfield players, yeah, they, they struggled and they weren't at it. Sam Hutchinson was like a man on a mission. He was yeah. like, "I'm going to win this game single-handed if that's what it uh, that's what it takes." Um, all right, here's a statement that I didn't think I would be making this week. Jordan Rhodes changed the game. He did, yeah. Well, I, th- I think he certainly freed up Stephen Fletcher. He didn't actually have an opportunity to get on the score sheet himself, uh, but it was his running off the ball, and uh, I think the extra mobility that he brought compared to Atty New Year, who he found it tough. You know, I think we've we've seen Atty and, and Stephen Fletcher together; they have been a handful um, a couple of times this season as a partnership. It didn't work on Saturday, uh, and so. It was good management for Gary Monk to make that change, and uh, yeah, good for Jordan Rhodes to make an impact. And uh, you know, Gary Monk said afterwards that he's hoping it's going to be a, a bit of a springboard for him, uh, and we will come on no doubt to Derby in a bit. Um, but yeah, uh, for Rhodes, um, it certainly was a big plus point his contribution off the bench. I thought. Um I mean, I, I guess we will talk a bit more about him because obviously we saw him for um, for a much longer period on on Saturday. But um, yeah, I absolutely thought that. Uh, sorry, on Wednesday last night. Um, but yeah, I thought he he looked he just looked he looked fitter. He looked leaner. He looked like he was up for it. Which the last few times he's played for Wednesday, he's not. He's looked disinterested. He's looked a bit disengaged from it all and looked completely different on um, on Saturday. But we'll, we'll talk more about him in a, in a bit. Uh, right, let's do the second half then because I watched the highlights back on Sunday. I'd forgotten just how many chances Wednesday had in that second half. We should have been well out of sight. That was um, an insanely good second half football, really. Yeah, it was. And Fletcher could have had five on his own. Um a headed chance, the what the acrobatic effort that went just wide. Uh, I think it's important to note that Kadeem Harris. Uh, I thought in the second half he was unplayable at times. I thought he made it again. Um, he played a big part in the turnaround. Um, an, an unbelievable start, really, when you look at 
the victory and uh, you know the character and spirit Wednesday showed in the second half, but if that to be their first win coming behind from behind to win in the league for over two years. Uh, I, I think that, yeah, it, uh, it doesn't happen very often, put it that way, does it? So I think for Wednesday to do that, uh, you know, you'd hope that they're going to kick on really from here and that's going to give them the confidence to, uh, you know, you're looking at a home form. It's been very strong under Gary Monk. That's now three wins and four draws and they're unbeaten since the end of August. It's, it's definitely giving them a good, solid foundation really to build on. I was astounded when someone said it's the first time we've come from behind to win in over two years that's a long time that I well, can't I don't remember, think, I can't uh, remember what well, the game was are you surprised by that though because I mean you, you are a man yeah, who has on, on this podcast you have uh, sometimes questioned the uh, mentality and uh, character of this group so yeah. I suppose from that point of view uh, you know, maybe it shouldn't be a huge Probably surprise. not, but we, I mean, we've won football games in the last two years. Mm. So you think, well, surely one of them's going to be a game from behind. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I have questioned the character of the team and maybe actually, you know, getting that first win from uh, a losing position is an indication of maybe what Gary Monk is, is doing in terms of the um, the character of the team. And um, obviously we've got you know another kind of late goal conceded to talk about on Wednesday night, although in very different sort of circumstances to, to what we've um, to what we've seen of late. Um, it comes, think, it generally comes back though too. I think that Gary Monk, he's right and he bangs on about it all the time, and it's hard to disagree with him. Every match that he's been in charge of uh, in the league, Park, Everton, in the cup, they have been in it. They could have, t- they have, they could actually have taken points from pretty much every game. I can't think of one where they've been thoroughly outplayed. It doesn't matter whether you know it's West Brom or Hull where they've lost. It's all been by one goal margin. So it does sum up actually how competitive he has made, and and uh, Wednesday, and really he is. You would have to say, on the whole, he's making the most of the sum of you know of the parts of of what he's inherited, and what he's got. Uh, so I think you do have to give him a, a quite a lot of praise, actually, really, for the the work that he's done in the short time that he's been here. Uh, it's not always pretty on the eye. I think so that there's definitely been occasions where we have maybe argued could he have been a bit more positive with tactically or with changes, but. In terms of Wednesday always being in the hunt for points, then you'd have to say they have been. Yeah, you make a really fair point actually there, and I've probably not thought about it in that in that way. Um, there hasn't been a game this season where we've been outplayed either. Um, it's not just a matter of defending well; it's it's that you know we have we have been in in every game. There've been other seasons where it's they've a, been blown away. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Under, especially under Jos Lukai. Uh, the odd match under Steve Bruce and, and Carlos Carvalho, it was the same. But actually under Gary Monk, no, it, 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 that's why I feel, it almost feels as if the comparison sometimes of the Stuart Gray era is fair, really. Uh, yeah, there were all tight games under Stuart yeah, Gray, weren't there? There weren't many times. Yeah. Uh, I felt as if what you know Wednesday got torn apart under Stuart Gray. Uh, so he's definitely, I think, instilled that sort of structure and uh, you know, organisation I, I think will always be pretty much the hallmark of Gary Monk's team at uh, Wednesday, definitely. Yeah. 
Um, I always think this time of year we've got to remind ourselves as we approach the second anniversary of Burton at home um, mm. that you know things have been things have been bad at times. Things have been very bad at times. Oh yeah, so that's the point when you're saying that first half against Brentford, <laughs> Burton, <laughs> Burton at home. You have to remind New yourself Year's of Day, these 2018. Things. Yes, that was wow. a horror show. Yeah, it really was. Um, all right, then on to. Um, Wednesday night then, and uh, Derby away again, kind of a game of two different halves, because Wednesday in the first half, just superb, and really, at 1-0 at half-time, it, it should have been more. Yeah, outside, I've lost count of how many times we've banged on about it, James, where uh, uh, we've said that Wednesday's been on top, but they haven't taken the chances, and, the, and they haven't punished teams, and inevitably... It's come back to haunt them with away from home. We've seen it three, four times now where it's the game management right at the end. And it's tricky. I don't know how you feel about it with Derby. That you look at it and Wednesday have such a terrible record that's well documented at Pride Park. I haven't won there for 13 years. Uh, so actually last season, this year, they've drawn now there. So uh, they've done a bit better than... In previous years, um, but then there's the so many Wednesday fans who I know came away from Derby yesterday, thinking it was an, it felt like another two points dropped. Yeah, you can. I can see why people would think that. I mean, it it, it was a strange it was a strange evening. You know, if if at seven forty four yesterday you'd have said to me, "Would you take a draw out of this game?" I'd have said, "Yeah." Ten minutes later. If you ask me the same question, I said no chance. We we can absolutely. I mean, how we how do we not score in the first ten minutes of that of that game? It was close shave after close shave after close shave, and um, Derby it, were there for the taking. Absolutely, absolutely, I felt in that first they, half they, they were and, and you know, we we uh, were chatting to some of their fans walking um, back to the car afterwards, and they said that first half was probably as bad as they've played. It, it was it was the reverse of of how we were on Saturday for them on on Wednesday night. They felt they didn't turn up in the first half, and they got quite lucky to to go in one nil down. That that meant that you know they could get the rollick in at, at half time and turn things around in the in the second half. Um, let's aside from the fact that we didn't score the chances we there was some lovely stuff played in that in that first half we just glided through that there was at times I would have liked to have seen them if I'm being hypercritical work the goalkeeper more uh, it, uh, you know you had Morgan Fox uh, at the back post where there was putting a good challenge maybe stopping him from sliding in and, and putting it in and Jordan Rhodes has uh, hit the crossbar with a header the keeper may have got a touch on, on it but um, there was the Stephen Fletcher and again Morgan Fox last ditch challenges. The, the, so I'm, I've maybe highlighted about three examples there of where maybe Wednesday could have got another goal. Uh, and we have to talk about the goal. Uh, I mean, man brimming with confidence. First time pass from Bannon. I don't know what Derby were doing playing out from the back. And Forsyth actually, he did it in the second half as well, where Adam Reach ran onto the ball. And it could have led to an opportunity. And you're thinking, you know, he's not learned from his lessons. But yeah, Bannon, great awareness. First time, picks out Fletcher. And, and what a finish. It was Beautiful the finish. It, yeah, cracking finish. And, and he's now got six in the last five starts. He, he he really is. You know, right now, he just looks to me like one of the best centre-forwards in the division. Uh, and, I, and I put it, I think, to Gary Monk, might have been last week. Do you think he's the best number nine and in the championship and yeah and he pretty much you know, said I think he is yeah uh, and 
I mean, Gary Monk puts Stephen Fletcher's form down to his professionalism off the pitch and the way he looks after himself. And and you have to say, yeah, that he's reaping the benefits of it. It's it's that hard work, you know. And you know, Stephen Fletcher was uh, telling me after Brentford that you know he tra- you know he goes to the gym twice a day and that he's cut certain things out of his diet and and I think he he really is reaping the rewards uh, for maybe just tightening up uh, you know a few things and the, and the way he conducts himself off the pitch and then he's thrown himself even more into the gym and working hard on the training ground and uh, that hard work is paying off big time Three games in a row now where we've started with two up top, um, which is the longest run of that formation with with Gary Monk. Um, And I think, probably cynically, I I expected probably both games this week so far, actually, I probably thought I'll probably change it back to one up top because that's where he seems to favour. We've talked about Brentford and the fact that actually Fletcher and Nuiu didn't really work in the first half, but it stretched it more with Rhodes on on the pitch in the second half. And then Jordan Rhodes starting a game First time in, I don't know how long that John Rose started a game. April 2018 right, for Wednesday. a long time then, so well over 18 months. Um, and that probably actually wasn't a great surprise. You know, I said in the car on the way there, you know, does, does John Rhodes start tonight? Because he, he, he made a good, right he made a good case for it, didn't he, on, um, yeah. on Saturday. But um, I thought the game plan seemed to work in the first half. The shape seemed to work in the first half. And sticking with that formation, players just seem to kind of understand what they're doing. It, it, it's fitting feels like things are falling into place a little bit with playing that that four four two. Do you think that that is is here to stay now? Do you think that Gary Monks thought actually I need to stick with this because this group of players, I think, uh, play better when they just know their roles. No, I think he continued to mix it up. It wouldn't shock me at all if he goes to the city ground and plays four three three. And they're going to have to make a number of personnel changes that we'll come on to in a bit. But. No, I, I think he likes that flexibility, really. And I think he feels as if with, you know, he really pointed out that he feels that the strength of this team is actually in midfield and up front with the options that he's got. And and he is blessed with the amount of central midfielders they've got. So he can comfortably change from four four two into four three three, And then when you've got five forwards when they're all available... You can easily go to two up front. You can even then put Fernando Forcieri when he's fit on the left. So, yeah, I I, I think he likes that, uh, and uh, it's it's that unpredictability. Really, I I think he wants to on occasions keep the opposition guessing. I think particularly away from home, but to me, I mean, the impression I'm getting is that I don't think the Wednesday fans too often, especially especially against the lesser opposition in this league they won't tolerate 4-3-3 as much at home and 4-5-1 they want the team to be on the front foot like they were in that second half against Brentford and I think that's how we all want Wednesday to play because when they really do go after the opposition they, they look a much better side and more pleasing on the eye but I do think it will be more on the road when you will get Wednesday switching to the a four three three or whatever you yeah four one four one. I think sometimes I think a lot of the coaching staff see it more as a four one four one with Hutchinson screening and sitting in front of the back four. So yeah, I I think flexibility 
Gary Monk likes that. You know, he's big on intelligent players, isn't he? And guys who are able to play multiple positions and can do multiple roles. It does. It brings us on to um, an interesting point in terms of the fact that for as much as it worked in the first half, it very much dried up in the second half. Um, Probably an element of the fact that Derby came out uh, looking a little bit reinvigorated. I think they got a bit of their mojo in the second half uh, and that balanced with Wednesday just looking a little bit flatter. Didn't just didn't happen, did it, second half? No, it didn't. Wednesday sat on the lead and I'm afraid we've seen that a few times away from home when they've got the noses in front. Really good teams with... That extra quality, they they you know they they smell blood and they go for the throat and when and when the bossing matches, they get a second even third to kill it off, and Wednesday for whatever reason I do just feel as if sometimes this season that's where they've come up short at both ends of the pitch as well. I'm not going to just criticise. It's not just the finishing. It's then also that lack of concentration at the it, back it, uh, and there's you know, the defensive errors and the, ge- is the game management uh, because Derby was reminiscent of Cardiff away where again Wednesday out should have been outside in the first half at Cardiff should have been 2 or 3-0 up and then they, they didn't take them and then you naturally as the game goes on and if it's only 1-0 I think psychologically as a player you do retreat a little bit towards your own 18-yard box and if you if you're not keeping it well up front and you make a few changes which is what Wednesday did um, then that's what happens and you invite that pressure on Interesting how um, you kind of talk about you know good good teams smelling blood going for the for the kill um, as much as Derby were on top in the second half it kind of felt it got to a point where you kind of think do you know what we could just ride this out because they just didn't, have didn't look like they were going to oh. score you know they, they were creating things but thought we looked kind of comfortable. Um, Dawson looks like he's brimming with confidence at the moment. I loved how he was, you know, taking two minutes over every goal kick and just did not care. You think this is a guy that's really growing into the into the team, and you just think, do you know what? I think I think this is gonna this is gonna happen. Do you know when Derby's first shot on target was? Seventy eighth minute. Seventy eighth minute. Crack. So Wednesday on the whole, yeah, they defended. Well, and restricted Derby, who have got some good individuals. And I know I was saying before that it feels like it was two points dropped, but you do also have to remember Derby have only lost once at home all season. So uh, in the bottom half of the championship, they've got one of the best home records. So that's why it's really hard to gauge whether, like, you know, you look at it on the one hand, you think it's still a good point away from home at a ground where historically Wednesday don't do well. They've only won two. In fact, when they've only won I think, two of the last 21 meetings with Derby. So, hopeless record over the last two decades. But when you then go ahead, away from home, and you play as well as Wednesday did and, and be as dominant as they were in that first half, that's where the disappointment lies. The curse of Pride Park, I think you shall yes. put it down to. Um, all right, well, a few things for us to talk about. There's a few individuals for us to talk about. Um, let's start on Could kind of the more positive end of that spectrum. Well, I was going to say, actually, before we get into the individuals, I was going to say, do you want to talk about substitutions? Um, all right, let's talk about substitutions. Beca- just because that seems to have been very topical 
on social media and in the immediate aftermath yeah. that um, seemed to frustrate Wednesday night, should I say. Yeah. I, the substitutions were probably probably in fitting with our um, performance in the in the second half. Um, we it, it was weird how for such a long time of that game we looked like this could be three points, and in the end we're hanging on for a, a, a point and happy to settle for a point. And obviously, there's you know kind of circumstances with the red card that that lead to that towards the very back end of the game. But even in the immediacy of them scoring the first, it kind of felt like we're still happy now to settle for. Um, by the way, other thing I want to add on that is they could have snatched it right at the end mm-hmm. as well. Jack Marriott with that header from the corner in the last minute when yep. Wednesday down 10 men. So, yeah, another sort of, on the one hand, you're looking at it and thinking, you take the point, especially yep. when you go down to 10 men. But what did you make to the Kadeem Harris substitution on the hour mark? Um, I wasn't overly surprised at the time because I thought that he looked tired. Did you? Yeah. Um, I didn't. You see, I always think just he looks gone, tired, though. But, but he'd just gone on a rampaging run on the yeah, left and won a free kick. And, I, I mean, I watched his body language as he came off and he looked disappointed. I think I felt as if Harris could have gone on maybe for another 10 or 15 minutes. Um, uh, and he was an outlet. For, uh, uh, yeah, in, yeah. That, in that first half, he was a danger. It, it, it was kind of odd, wasn't I, it? I thought of all the subs, that was the strange one for me that... And it's not the first time he's been taken off, I would say, early. I think there's been other matches where I feel as if... Now, maybe... I mean, Gary Monk would maybe defend himself and go, it's because he's one eye on Nottingham Forest and they've only got a couple of days to recover and they're going to need Kadeem Harris at the top of his game to get anything at Nottingham Forest. So maybe I I understand it from that point of view. But I just think when Wednesday was struggling to hold the ball uh, and... They needed to quickly turn defence into attack and I, I, I would have kept Kadeem Harris on a bit longer if he had a bit more juice and still wasn't and wasn't feeling tired. And I don't think he was because he looked grumpy coming off. Yeah. So out of the three subs, I thought that was the one to me that I thought it baffled me a little bit. Yeah. Um, I I must admit, kind of watching the players, I thought if anyone's going to go off, it's probably going to be Jordan Rhodes because he started to look really tired. You could tell he not played 90 minutes for a long time. And that's understandable. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just through the times he just looked like he was actually just struggling to run and stuff like that. And you think, yeah, he's, he's probably going to be the player that, that goes off. And then you think the question is, do you bring Atenewi you want or actually do you bring it, bring on Luongo or Kieran Lee and just strengthen up that midfield? Because we were getting a bit overrun in, in midfield. Um, but actually, we, you know, we did something completely different. And actually Murphy, when he came on, looked like um, he's, he's one of those Jekyll and Hyde players, isn't he? You've got, a, you've got a good Murphy and you've got a bad Murphy. And that was bad Murphy who um, just, the ball just wouldn't, stick anywhere anywhere near him mm, yeah I, I know he, he's it's he, one of them where he, he, he consistently you don't know what to expect consistently inconsistent, inconsistent yeah, yeah. that's that's it yeah unfortunately that's where we are and and yeah Adam Reach was given the nod and, I, and Adam Reach does what Adam Reach does which yeah. is he, he grafted um there wasn't there wasn't the end product apart from the cross for Rhodes' header in the first half. There weren't too many times where he got to the byline and he, he's put a good ball in there. Uh, and it, yeah, that is it's a problem position for Wednesday because they've basically rotated 
Leach and Murphy all season. And they've both had two or three games sort of on the spin. And then they've come out and, and the other one's come in. That's yeah. sort of how it's been. Uh, so, you know, you've had Kadeem Harris, who generally has yeah put in decent display after decent display. Yeah. Display, you know, consistently being one of Wednesday's better players. But on the right, they've not had that. Uh, and and you wonder maybe if that's possibly one of those areas if if Wednesday can do some business in January where they may look to you know, potentially strengthen. Can I suggest in January that we uh, maybe try and bring in another fullback? Mm. <laughs> um, let's all right. Let's talk individuals. Let, let's do what we said we were going to do. Let's start at the positive end of the spectrum. So let's talk about Jordan Rhodes because it was his first start for uh, for a while and. Um, First half, I thought he looked really lively and he, he looked really up for it and um, it seemed to work for Stephen Fletcher as well, that. Some of his touches and hold-up play was really good, I thought, um, from Jordan Rhodes. When, you know, he keeps it simple. We know that it's in the penalty area, that's where he comes alive and that's where it's it's his clever movement. And um, if, if he gets crosses... That's what he thrives on. That's what he needs. He, it's all about service with Jordan Rhodes. We, we know that. Yeah. And, and perhaps Wednesday have been guilty over the years of not supplying him with enough ammunition to seriously do some damage. But yeah, I, I thought first half, yeah, again, him as a combo with Fletcher, I you know, I think it was promising yeah, at times. You haven't got that ability to run in behind. And, and this is where I have actually felt at times, this is where Wednesday missed Lucas Well. They've missed somebody with that pace up front. You know, that's where that's where Lucas Well had that something different. Yeah. And Wednesday don't really have that now with their the strikers that they have on their books. They don't have anyone who can do that. Um, so yeah, but I, I, you're right. I mean, I think for Jordan Rhodes now, uh, the, yeah, some fans are saying, is this the last chance for you? Uh, possibly he, he could possibly out, he is he's our only striker under contract next season mm-hmm. um, so you know whether we like it or not you know unless unless someone does come in for him in January or in the uh, in the summer um, you know we, we could be looking at a scenario where we've kind of got to build things around him a little bit for the for next season depending on what else is going on and we'll, um, we'll we'll chat about kind of contracts and players out of contract and stuff a little bit um, a little bit later on um, alright let's talk about Sam Hutchinson so um, too much suspension for him he picked up the inevitable uh, yellow card um, so Hutch out of the next two, two games um, 10 yellows for the season I mean it, a bit groundhog day this because we seem to kind of touch on this conversation every week but um, his discipline a little bit back to kind of what it used to be and some of the yellows is picking up are just a bit daft yeah I felt a little bit for him at Derby though that was remonstrating with the ref over a contentious. But he penalty. did seem to. He kind of got into a few scraps and stuff as well, isn't he? He was. A, he was sort of at the centre of uh, everything that was happening, kind of off the ball and stuff on uh, on Wednesday night. Yes, and I love him for this. I do love him for this, and we know this is what you get with. You, you never get a Sam Hutchinson who blends into the background. Yeah, you know he will. He will be at the the heart of everything that's that's going on. And if there's an argument to have, he'll damn well have it. Um, but we're without him for two games, and we need him. They do, I, I, but 
I don't want to criticise him too much for the booking at Derby. Uh, I, I thought that he put in a really strong performance at Derby. I think uh, you know he was one of Wednesday's best players for me. Uh, the way he broke up play. Uh, in fact, the highlight for me was in the first half when he made three tackles in a row. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, to win the ball back for Wednesday, and I just thought that's typical Sam Hutchinson commitment, the desire, and that aggression. That's what he brings. But you're right, Wednesday are going to miss him uh, as they don't have a like for like defensive midfielder in the mould of Sam Hutchinson, and it's his personality, uh, the influence that he has on that team. Yeah, he is a big, big character. So yeah, well, somebody's going to have to step up uh, over the next two matches. Um, but yeah, I'm sure Gary Monk's going to have a quiet word with him or two behind the scenes about discipline. That this will it'll be now three matches that he's missed. He's actually missed more matches through suspension this season than through injuries. Right. So that sort of it shows you really that you're right that he's gone backwards with the amount of yellow cards that he has collected. Yeah. Um, other individual that we've got to talk about is Moses Odebagio. Um, I've not seen it back. Where from where I was, I was, I was quite in line with it, and we all thought it probably was a penalty. A lot of people that uh, have, I've I've seen on Twitter saying no way was it a penalty. If anything, it's a it's a foul on on Odebagio. I've not seen it back. Have you got any sort of take on that? I've seen it back quite a few times. It's harsh. It it falls into the soft penalty category. Gary Monk didn't really have any complaints about it and I could understand his perspective in the sense that Moses Odebagio has got the wrong side of Jack Marriott, he he has lost him and he did not really need to get in the position that he got himself in the tangle with Morgan Fox coming round the cover I, I think it was unlikely that Marriott would get, actually get his shot away I, you know, I would have fancied Morgan Fox to have made the block and it's now uh, what the third penalty that uh, yeah. Moses Odebagio has given away this and season. And of course, then we've got we've got the sending off a few minutes after that, um, which is which is daft, which is silly. Um, again, a few people pointing out one of the yellow cards is a little bit soft, but it happened. He's on that yellow card. Um, I, I'm not sure he needs to pick up that second. No, they were both. One. Yellow. It was. I, I they were both yellow cards. I mean, the first one was a heavy touch, and then he. Uh, he's lunged in, didn't get the ball, and Dwayne Holmes has nicked it past him, Stonewall yellow. Right. And then the second one, uh, I think he may have, so he tried sort of to hand off, uh, I think it was Scott Malone, he was going down the left for Derby. Uh, and yeah, it's yellow, but I mean, some refs would have booked him for giving the penalty away, so he yeah. could have actually got sent off for when he gave the penalty away. But uh, we've said it a few times, it's not, happening for Moses Odbajo. Um and I was surprised that Liam Palmer didn't start and wasn't in the squad but then it emerged that Liam Palmer's had a niggle so right. that's why Liam Palmer wasn't um, available but Wednesday now with Odbajo banned for Nottingham Forest will be yeah hoping that Liam Palmer yeah. will be fit to return we, yeah. we, we need him to be don't we Otherwise, um, it would probably be what a change in central defence. Well, it'd and, have to and, be, and we'd have to play our offer, offer, yeah. a fullback. Which, to be honest, I'd I'd be gutted if we have to do that because I think that partnership between those two is really important. Um, and we really need to, to give them a few games together now. Tom Lee's and Dominic Iofa. Uh, on Iofa, I thought 
outstanding against Brentford, probably man of the match. I then watched, because I'm really sad, some of the highlights back in the early hours of the Derby match when when it got back to Sheffield. Uh, and two or three times... Are you not fussed about sleepers? No, no, no. I, I, I'm too awake, mate. Um, still on adrenaline. And, and I was looking at... I offered, There were two or three times where I thought he got schooled, actually, by Chris Martin, where he's giving cheap free kicks away. Yeah. Uh, and but those are things he'll learn yep. the longer he plays at centre-half, so it doesn't worry me yep. too much. Chris Martin's vastly experienced operator at this level, so yep. he'd do that to a lot of centre-halves, and Dominic Ioff, we have to remember, has only played around 15 or so matches in his career at centre-half, yep. so you've got to cut him some slack that there will be matches where he have the old dip here and there. But uh, I, you know, I asked Gary Monk about Ioff, and does he actually think, that they're going to have a job on the hands keeping hold of him. And I, and I tell you, if he carries on progressing the way that he is, he's 24, all the attributes he's got, I already think on the form he's showing, he looks a £10 million player to me. I, I think he's, right now, I'd say he is Wednesday's most saleable asset or, or the one yeah. who would fetch in the most in the market. Yeah. And that if you know, he came available there would be a lot of suitors for Dominic Iorfa. And that's not me trying to flog Dominic Iorfa. We all hope that Dominic Iorfa is going to be a Sheffield Wednesday player uh, for a number of years. And he's and he's contracted for a long time at Sheffield yep. Wednesday. Yep. But the way he is performing, yeah, it really does bode well for the future. Uh, and I think he's getting better and better. You don't need to worry because we don't sell players. It doesn't doesn't matter. Very true. Um, yeah, no. I, every word of that was absolutely uh, true. And uh, this this is kind of what I touched on a couple of weeks back when I was talking about uh, Tom Lee's being the right partner for Dominic Iofa because he does need to learn some of those things. Whereby sometimes in games they're, they're just games where you don't take risks. Um, you just play it simple, and, and that sometimes when you just well it out for a throw in or do whatever you need to do, just clear your lines. Um, I still think that's where Dominic Iofa just lets himself down. Sometimes just tries to be a little bit too clever, but he's 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 learning, and actually he's learning really quickly. And um, you you see kind of consistently improvement, and he'll he'll have learned from um, his experience playing on Wednesday it, night. It's, it's little things like I he got he got away with a few things uh, on on Wednesday night, and sometimes yeah, you need that little bit of yeah. luck to actually be able to 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 get caught a couple of times, but get away with it. Mm. But then you also need to go away and think, all right, I, I need to learn here when you're playing against a more experienced striker that you know, there's certain things that they're going to do and you've just got to you know, uh, account for that and, and, and just not mess around. It's just decision-making, yeah, that, and that comes with experience. There was, a, there was a moment in the first half where uh, you know, he showed great recovery pace to get back in position, get ahead of Chris Martin, and then it's sort of gone towards uh, Wednesday's goal and rather than like you were saying there, hoof it into the crowd just put it out for a throw in he tried to almost be clever and sort of back heel it out and then it could have gone out for a corner and it's actually hit the corner flag and then gone out for a throw in but you're thinking do do the simple thing Dom and, and that's yeah. just you know if in doubt give it a clout that was what my old coach used to say you know sometimes you put yourself in uh, you know a dodgy position after you've initially done well, then you, you just you don't mess around as a defender. Sometimes you just got to take the the easy option. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's interesting you mentioned decision making there because I feel like 
you've you've got two players who at the moment some of the at times their decision making is questionable in in Iorfa and in Odebajo. That sounds really harsh on Iorfa, but sometimes it does make the wrong decision, but still generally recovers from it or gets away with it. Odebajo at the moment is yeah. is is making a lot of bad decisions I swear and, I and they're quite they're quite critical is yeah, you know yeah, letting letting yeah, players get on the yeah. on goal side of him yeah. um things like that and it, and it's happening a lot with Odebaggio and uh, I mean hopefully Palmer's fit and comes into the team yeah. on on Saturday and then you think well Gary, Gary Monk doesn't um he doesn't appreciate playing players that he doesn't feel he can trust we know this we've seen this with other players before I'm I, I think Odebaggio's gonna have a real job on getting near this team again now I don't know. I think he get other chances. He will, with um, the relentless nature of the championship, and th- there has actually been a few times this season where Liam Palmer hasn't been available for whatever reason. Uh, squad rotation. Moses Odebaje will come again, and you just you have to hope that. Uh, you know, he's he's got to show the mental strength to go that this basically the first half of the season. Has been a write-off for him. It, it's so far he, there has not been many matches where he's shone and excelled, uh, but there is time to come good. That's that's what we have to cling to. Uh, and there was a point actually. I mean, going forward in that second half, Wednesday created very little, but there was a good burst from him where he set up Stephen Fletcher, and you see the old glimpse of him going forward. I do think he could be an asset there, but. It's defensively, that's what he gets paid to do when he's at full-back. That's what I want to see him stick to his defensive duties and and not have those lapses and concentration or the poor decision-making. That's what he's got to cut out and that's what uh, you know he has to do better and he's got to address. Uh, as right now, yeah, there have been too many times where he's looked like a liability. Let's see what the gaffer had to say then. Here's Gary Monk. We were digging in for the three points, unfortunately, the penalty and, and then the sending off. I mean, we had to focus on trying to keep the point. Credit to the players for doing that. Did you think to the penalty? I think in those situations you give the you give the referee a decision to make. Sometimes they go for you, sometimes they don't. And technically, it's probably not. It's probably marginal, but you give the referee a decision, don't you? I think that's all it, especially with the atmosphere and everything like that. But I have to watch your back. But at the time, you give the referee a decision. He makes that decision. You have to live with that. But you dug deep after going out yeah. to ten and to still grind out and get the point. Yeah, well, we were, as I said, it became really scrappy and neither team really were showing much composure in that second half. And as you expect, the home team mm. was trying to get the momentum, but it wasn't really anything composure from both sides. I just think we were holding out for that three points at that moment, tried to make the changes because we had some tired legs. And then obviously the pen- penalty changed that and then it became a mode, especially then with 10 men, that we had to you know, fight to keep that, that one point. So credit to the players. It showed the character. The character's there. But we're just trying to work with the players to be able to sustain not what you saw in that first 25, 30 minutes is trying to sustain that for, for the full game. But it's difficult in this period to do that. What do you think you've got to learn from tonight? It's to sustain what we're doing well. You know, we had them where we wanted them. The crowd were turning. They were on to them. As an away team, that's exactly where you want them to get them. We looked very good, we were very sharp, and then I think then, it, especially in that second half, it just became scrappy and we stopped doing those things. That, there wasn't a lot of composure in the game from either team, really. Um, you know, and then it became a point of trying to hold the three points, um, try to make some changes to affect that, you know, but um, the game was just scrappy, it was in that mode, wasn't it? And then obviously the penalty and the red card obviously changed that mode of 
instead of three points we need to fight, fight for that one point and credit to the players they fought in the end I've always said it if you can't win a game you have to make sure you don't lose it and they did that you came close to getting a clean sheet tonight but you've not kept one since I think got the yeah. end of October how much of a concern is that for you? It's not the overall concern at all but of course that's something that we want and we'll work, you know, we try and focus on and do we've been a bit unlucky not to keep some clean sheets but no excuses of course that's another thing that needs to improve it's not I wouldn't say a major problem for us but yeah we want to get back to clean sheets and if it's mm. games like that especially if you can keep a clean sheet um, what you're seeing it's, 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 it's not like we're getting cut open it's situations where you know penalties and things like that that's you know it's a bit of our un undoing but yeah it was just a scrappy game in that second half I thought it was quite yeah. tricky game coming up on Saturday then Forest. Very they've much so. Very strong start to the season. It's faded a little bit for them, but they're still very much in contention, I think, for a top six finish this season. Um, and the, the, they've kind of mirrored Wednesday in a lot of ways, haven't the Forest, in the last few seasons? You know, they are one of the mainstays of the of the championship. I was joking in the car on the way back, if Leeds get promoted this season, the championship will just collapse because it's one of the one of the four pillars of the championship in Wednesday, Leeds, Forest and Derby that's uh, that's removed. Um but yeah, I think they'll they'll you know fancy the chance of a top six finish. They'll um Obviously, you know, their home form will be kind of critical for them. So not going to be an easy one. And as we've talked about, we've got those enforced changes. So we've got a Hutchinson is not available. Um, Odebaggio not available. We keep our fingers crossed about Liam Palmer and whether he comes back into the team. And Stephen Fletcher as well, because Gary Monk said that that was one of the reasons why he came off as he had a hamstring niggle. Right. So that doesn't sound good to me. If it's a hamstring niggle, then I'd say he's a major doubt. Right. And that would be a big blow for Wednesday if Stephen Fletcher is not available. And then it's what do Wednesday do up front? No Forestieri, potentially no Stephen Fletcher. That leaves you with Jordan Rose, Atty Nuyu, and Sam Winnell, who played for the under-23s on Monday and hasn't really figured at all. Yes, he's miles out, doesn't he? Gary Monk. But he may come into contention on Saturday if Fletcher... It doesn't shake the hamstring off, but hopefully it's very minor. They caught it in the nick of time, got him off. So you know, but you know, with a forty-eight hour recovery, I'm gonna. I think that's fifty-fifty at best. Yeah, it is a very quick turnaround. There's two two last two midweek games have been on a Wednesday, haven't there? And it's it's um, it's the way they split the championship now. But I mean, basically yeah. governed by television that they like to put some on half the programme on a Tuesday and half the programme yeah. on a Wednesday well annoyingly it was actually yeah. Nottingham Forest fault because they were at home on the Tuesday so Forest and Derby can't be at home on yeah. the same night hence why you know yeah. Derby was on a uh, was on the Wednesday night Forest have the extra day and that that could be it can, it can make a difference it, it, yeah it could do at this uh, time of year when it's quite thick and fast as well yeah and uh, I mean, on Forest, with the level of investment that there's been there, I think it'd be a huge underachievement for them if they don't finish in the playoffs. I think that's the bare minimum for them. And they've actually gone a little bit off the boil. I saw quite a lot of their match with Millwall last week and they were lucky to get a draw. They nearly snatched it but and it took a late equaliser from Millwall, but they, they were outplayed for large... Um, periods of that match but they've got good individuals uh, I really, you know, Joe Lowy's been one of the best players I think in the league uh, consistently over the last sort of 16 months or so Lewis Graben will always get you between 15 to 20 goals Carvalho is a handful on his day um, yeah um, it's a big challenge for Wednesday but if, if you actually 
forget about last season's result at the City Ground where Wednesday didn't turn up and that was one of the worst performances under Jos Lukai. Mm-hmm. Um, Wednesday have had a, some very good success over the years at the City Ground, so hopefully we'll, we'll see another very good away day. It's, it's one of the few um, games where I actually remember for Alman Abdi doing something. Um, scored a cracker, didn't he? There, um, which was really good. And Adam Reach did the Ad- year before. Yeah, as well. Adam Reach scored um, a, a good goal there, and I've, I've got some happy memories of going there. And um, perhaps against the odds, winning games. Remember that that Forestieri goal where he jumps into the crowd, and the videos of him just going nuts after scoring. Um, that's some good, some good memories. Always a good away day as well in um, in Nottingham. It's a city that I uh, enjoy going to. So looking forward to um, Saturday. Let's talk about Stephen. Let's talk about Stephen Fletcher. Actually, let's talk about a, a slightly wider thing. So, Stephen Fletcher's out of contract this summer. Probably for the first two and a half years of his time at Wednesday, I was thinking, why did we give him such a long contract? We, you know, It's one of those contracts that you think, if we could just cancel that early, because we know he's on a pretty decent whack in terms of his wage, and it just felt like, God, oh, there's such a long contract. Now we find in a situation where we're like, we'll probably keep him for another year. Um a similar situation with Cameron Dawson, um, who you would think is someone that we're, we're going to want to stay. He's out of contract in the summer. There's a lot of other players out of contract, and we'll, we'll not go through them all because there's there's just so many of them. Um, <clears throat> what uh, Have you heard any indication or have you got any reason to think that with what's going on at the moment, that Wednesday may already be under a soft embargo? This is not me trying to spread a rumour. This is just my own when I've just thought in the past where we thought, why have they not offered a contract so-and-so? And then you're like... Ah, right, it turns out they're under embargo and no one knew about it because the EFL don't announce it, the club keep it very quiet. You would think that we'd be having talks with some of these players. It was interesting, Cameron Dawson in his pre-match press the, the other week where he talked about you know, he, he sees his future with the club. He's going to say that, whatever he might think, but he did indicate actually contracts talks haven't started yet. No, I've, there have been discussions uh, with... Uh, a lot of the out-of-contract players, they have had those uh, and those negotiations will be ongoing. Um, to answer your question on a soft embargo, I, I've not heard anything to suggest that Wednesday are. But I was thinking about this the other day, though, that if, if you're the EFL, um, with, the on, you know, with the dispute and the row that is taking place between the EFL and Sheffield Wednesday, would you as the governing body really allow Sheffield Wednesday to do that much transfer business in January yeah. with, with this hanging over you? It does make you think, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a tricky it's, one for the EFL, isn't it? Because actually with the nature of um, the amount that went into the accounts from the stadium yeah. sale, we've actually got money to go and spend in, in January um, if there isn't anything else at play in terms of mm. an embargo, whether you know soft or hard or whatever it might be. Um, there, um, yeah, we we you know we we technically made a, a fairly significant profit on uh, on on that. So there there is space. There's, there's wiggle room for us to actually spend some money. But I, yeah, I'd I don't be surprised expect, if yeah. the FL would just be like, yeah, go on, do whatever you want. And it, and if they don't, then I think we, it's it becomes a really important window because we've actually got to reshape the team for possibly accounting for an embargo for a couple of windows or something. It could be a normal a bit of a policy of I don't know, sort of one in and one out. Um, they may, who knows? I mean, we're we're, we're speculating at this moment. Um, all's going to be revealed in January, but. Uh, from what I can gather, I, I I I think Wednesday will at the moment are definitely looking at 
doing some business. And, before and before be all active. the FL charge stuff, Gary Monk was talking about two or three players that he wanted to bring in, wasn't he? And um, and he said it's unbalanced then. as this yep. this side. And so January is going to be the first chance that he gets, or he hopes that he's going to get, um, to do some wheeling and dealing. And uh, and I, so yeah, I still think Wednesday the club are quietly confident that, that they are going to be able to do some trading. Yeah. Just to um, emphasise before anyone gets the wrong idea that th- there's no, I've got no information where to kind of imply that there's a soft embargo. That's purely just me speculating from the way that these things have unfolded in the last um, couple of seasons. So not trying to spread any rumours or anything there. Uh, right, let's move on to um, to our opinions. So last week we talked about favourite Wednesday song. Uh, there were some good ones that got suggested on uh, Twitter. I think actually High Her Silver Lining came pretty much out on top. But I'm a little bit. It's a, it's a great. It is a great Great moment before every game. That. I am a little bit embarrassed that we didn't actually mention it. On yeah, the uh, so I do apologise to uh, all the listeners. <laughs> um, this week, so um, as we um, count down towards the end of the decade now, which sounds such a dramatic phrase, but uh, we're so old, James. Yeah, I know. So um, I've I've done my team of the decade this week. I know you're working on your team of the decade in the next couple of weeks or or so. So we've we've got three episodes left before the end of the year, before the end of the decade. So um, let's piece together some of the best Wednesday players. So um, I, I reckon goalkeeper, defender, midfielder, striker. There isn't really any point in us doing an opinions and a, a vote on best goalkeeper because I think that's a bit of a given in terms of Kieran Westwood. So let's put that aside and let's assume that no one would particularly disagree with. Yeah, I, I just want to throw in that Chris Kirkland was yep, very good. Absolutely. Uh, Stephen Bywater also had his yep. moments uh, in the the year that Wednesday got promoted. So yeah. Special mentions. You're right, there are special mentions, but, but, but it is a, yeah, it's, it's it, an easy one. It, it's Kim Westwood. So um, let's move on to um, to defender. So um, I, 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 so I, I finished my team last week. So my four defenders in my team of the decade are Glenn Leuvens, Tom Lees, Raider Johnson, Lewis Buxton. Oh, I, do you know what? I disagree with one. You're going to disagree with Lewis Buxton. I am. And you're going to put Daniel Poodle in. Incorrect. Oh. No. You're going to put Liam Palmer in. No. Who are you going to put in? Jack Hunt. Oh, you can't put Jack... No, no I don't Jack think Jack Hunt, Hunt had a big enough impact. No. I, I, oh, Jack Hunt in the back-to-back playoffs. Uh, yeah. Um, I'd have Jack Hunt back right now at Sheffield Wednesday in a heartbeat as a fullback. If you're, I tell you, right now, he'd play, he'd be in Wednesday's team. Of course he would, yeah. That's yeah. We'd, we'd kind of you know, dire straits down one of the flags. I'm sorry. I, I, Lewis Buxton, uh, again, really liked to blow, was a good player, at, um, but even actually... He was a bit up and down at times. He, he, he was, fair um, enough. But he was but a good servant. I, I, there's a deciding factor that uh, clinched it for me as to why Lewis Buxton goes in. Uh, his song was good. No, oh yeah, and that's oh, a really good enough reason. argument again there from James You've, got, you've, got, to have a, you've got to have a Jeez. reason for picking who you pick. Daniel Poodle didn't have a song and... Jack Hunt didn't have a song. Lewis Buxton, great song, sung it on many away days. So that is good enough reason for me as to why he gets the nod. It's very hard. I think we're gonna, this is going to be the problem, actually, when you go and um, we pick the entire team to sort of look beyond Wembley year. Um, you, Reedy, see, for me, Reedo again, would be touch and go with Daniel Padil at left back. It would be. Right, that Daniel Padil was superb. 
uh, in the year Wednesday got to Wembley. Not he did, not as good after one that. One good season though. Yeah, yeah, but I, could, I mean, Reader, oh, Reader, Re- Re- was only really one good season. No, I think two years. I think two, both years Jack was pretty solid. Jack was pretty good. In fact, I think he was actually better. I would say maybe in the second year than he wasn't in his first season, mm. arguably. But no, hundred percent. You you definitely would. I'm I'm trying to think if there's any other uh, centre halves that you'd maybe throw into the mix. Uh, I, I mean, you'd look at probably um, in the promotion season. Rob Jones was was yeah. good, but I think we all know that Rob Jones had got a mistake in it. Miguel Lara, in Miguel Lara, yeah, um, who was a, you know a bit of a, a bit of a legend. I think I, I I didn't particularly consider him just on the basis of the fact that he was he was quite prone to an error. Was was yeah, and we actually remember him for things like scoring goals and free kicks and yeah. wearing a headguard no, uh, and not kind of you know daft kind of decisions that he that he that he made. I mean, Danny Bart was was a, yes. a rock in that yeah. promotion season. Again, you kind of think, well, one good season is not not really enough, I think, to get into the team of the decade. No, I think team um, of the decade, you have to have done it for close yeah. at least two years, I think, yeah. to really be in one of it. And I think that Lewis Buxton was consistent for kind of three or four years that he was he was really good. Um, so I, I I'm I'm gonna stand stand my ground on it. Well, I, we can only I, pick four I, though to no, get to a vote. So we've we've got to we've got to either resolve this or we've got to just take them both out and just stick in uh, Lee's Leuvens and. I Rita. I think we've we've got to be men on this, and I think we we have to make a decision between the two of us. Um, I, if I allow you to have your pick this week, it may mean that I will get. Um, a greater say on the midfield or attack. So, All right, then, cool. So, so you, I, can, you can overrule on the midfield, and I think there'll I, probably I'm, be a player yeah. that we'll disagree with when we come to the midfield. I know. I think, actually, defence is really hard to uh, overlook. I mean, Leuven's and Lees, I think, as a yeah, partnership, they're, they're those two for a few seasons, and they've performed at the highest level that Wednesday competed in and were a huge part of that team. Yeah. That made the run so to Wembley. So yeah, I yeah, Le- Leuven's and Lee's hundred percent. The fullbacks you could argue about, but yeah, I'll, I'll let you have right. books. Let's go with those four then. So we uh, we'll put this to the vote for defender of the decade. I say that could be a film that couldn't it? Like a Marvel defender of the decade. But, um, who are you who are you going to vote for? Tom Lee's. I think it has to be Tom Lee's. I mean, he he's now captain. He, he's played. What yeah, was I it? Can't argue, 150 matches, especially. Yeah, I would argue maybe his first season was his best. He, he was out. He was outstanding. He was. He was a surprise know, to us, uh, wasn't uh, he? Because we we didn't really know much no. about him, and we'd actually see he was part of the Leeds team that Wednesday had destroyed the season before, uh, and looked barely a footballer. So I think you know he, he really did take. What one of surprise. the best pieces of business that Wednesday have done. In I would say the last twenty years, Tom Lee's paid peanuts for him, and uh, he's gone on to be a very steady yeah, championship absolutely. player. So I, I think for me, and at one point, what was he worth? I mean, there was talk of Burnley were interested in him and would have paid maybe ten million or so. Yeah. You know, he was he was getting at one stage in his career big money move. So yeah, I I think I think Tom Lee's has has been consistently. Very good for Wednesday. 
Right, so um, cast your vote in our Twitter poll. Uh, if you've got any comments, then let us know as well. If you disagree with us, which I'm sure you will do, then uh, let us know. You can catch Dom at Dom Housen. I'm at James Marriott, or contact the show at Dom and James. Big thank you at this point to our gold sponsor, Taito Law. You can find them at titolaw.co.uk. And that's just about it. Thank you for joining us. Let us have your feedback. We appreciate your reviews as well. And do subscribe to us in your podcast app to get the new episode every week. You can check the show notes as well if you'd like to sign up as a Singing the Blues supporter. Up the owls and see you next week. (laughs) 